Jonathan Wakefield is a brewmaster and founder of Miami's renowned Jay Wakefield Brewing. Now he's opening up his internationally acclaimed tap room at Sirius XM Business Radio for an intimate look at the intersection of craft beer and popular culture. So pull up a chair, have a round on us, and join the conversation on the business of brewing. This is the Beer Hour with Jonathan Wakefield on Sirius XM Business Radio. I'm Jonathan Wakefield, and this is the Beer Hour on Sirius XM Business Radio 132. Each week, we talk about the craft beer business, pop culture, and anything else that comes up. I'm here in the tap room with my co-host, our head brewer, Maria Cabre. Bonjour, Maria. Bonjour. Our first guest was on a ski trip in Breckenridge, Colorado with his friends, brothers Jared and Ryan Bichon. Maybe it was the altitude, but high in the Rockies over beers, the three hatched a plan to open a craft brewery in central Ohio. In 2011, they brewed their first IPA and began distributing in Columbus. Their beers quickly garnered national acclaim, they have been invited to port festivals across the country and in Europe. Welcome to the Beer Hour, Trevor Williams. Trevor is also joined by Hofarted's operations manager, Braden Volk. How are you guys doing? We're doing very well. Yeah, how are you guys? You? Not bad. It, it's been a hot minute, I would say, but uh, it's actually good to see you guys. I mean, uh, yeah, we, we miss you guys down here. Uh, that's definitely true. They also are the ones that started the what are those called? The Pit Viper sunglasses? Yeah, I know. Yeah, and we now, don't wear those anymore. We, it's been ruined for us. Right. Oh, wow. So now, now John's 15-year-old daughter wears them. Yeah. Um, so I, you guys are trendsetters. Yes, absolutely. I saw a lot of kids at the, uh, the amusement park in, in Ohio, like high school football, baseball player-looking kids. They definitely looked like they would beat me up if I was wearing them. They were all wearing them. So I knew it was... Time to ditch those, and now I'm uh, strictly blue blockers. If you remember. Oh that. my gosh! Don't tell me you're rocking blue blockers. <laughs> that is great, dude. That is great. We're waiting for that trend to to reemerge. But it might. I'm it waiting. might. You know, I remember the the infomercials back in the day. Oh yeah. <laughs> do you have your blue blockers on? Yes. I do, I do all my uh, my clothing shopping in the as seen on TV aisle. <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's start with an easy question. Who wants to tell our listeners where the name Hoofhearted came from? Um, you know, it was just one of those silly names that we had kicking around for like softball teams, other you know silly occasions. And when uh, my business partner Jared and I were first talking about it, it was the first name that I thought of to call the brewery because. I'm a moron. <laughs> and, and he's like, oh, yeah, that's perfect. So oh, I, had no, uh, I had no pushback from him. And uh, yeah, we've been making great uh, business decisions ever since. <laughs> I would say, I mean, you guys are rocking. So absolutely. So, so Marengo, Ohio is about 35 miles northeast of Columbus, home of Ohio State University, unfortunately. I read that a friend of yours... Um, Tim Haas. Did you say the Ohio State? Or? Yeah, I think you missed one there. I know. <laughs> Sorry to cut you off. Very important. Yes, yes, yes. Um, so Tim Haas was instrumental in brewing in Marengo. How did he help you guys get started? So Jared was working at a, um, a robotics company, and this guy Tim was like a general contractor for their building, and he subsequently owned a bunch of properties in Marengo and in Delaware. And so Jared and I were originally looking in Columbus to start the brewery. But Jared knew that Tim, you know, knew more about properties and whatnot than we did. And he's like, well, I've got a building you guys can use for free. And that's how we ended up in Marengo. So we basically <laughs> stayed in his his barn for about three years until he got sick of us. And he was also managing a property that I guess was foreclosed on still in Marengo, but was like a, it's kind of like a warehouse type building with floor drains. And he's like, this is perfect for you guys. Get the hell out of my spot. Uh, it was, we bought the building. It was like $93,000. It's on quite a bit of land. So that's awesome. And bring the ruckus up there. And yeah, that's how we ended up there. So, like, like majority of us, I would say, in the early stages of, because uh, I count you guys in that, in the uh, the reboom of craft beer, 
we didn't start in the brewing industry. You know, I was an accountant for 15 years. Where did you guys actually come from? What industries did you guys come from before you got into brewing? Well, I was uh, working as a, a wine salesman for a wholesaler. So I was going to all my accounts, buying different IPAs and whatnot, hardly drinking any wine, just drinking a shitload of <laughs> beer. Um, and Jared, my business partner, was a welding engineer, but was working for this robotics company. So we were both kind of, I was sick of wine, and he was sick of working with robots. <laughs> right. And so we plotted to start a brewery, even though we had never even, we started the legal paperwork before we even homebrewed our first batch of beer. Oh, my God. I just, we went on a ski trip a few months before we started plying this out, and it was drinking some killer IPAs that were just like, so at the time, like, you know, they're West Coast style, but they were like super fresh. In Columbus, there was like three craft breweries that were specializing in like pub style right. beers. So this was 20, 2011. Seems like a lifetime ago, but it just inspired me to be like, holy shit, there, you can really make, you can make beers that are this expressive. So that's how it started. And then we, figured out how to do it. Nice. What was the, what size brewing system did you have when you guys first started? Like what was the capacity you guys were doing? Back so then? we welded up a oh seven barrel system that looked like just like a, a massive, uh, homebrew system. Um, just had like little like burners underneath. It was terrible. <laughs> but, then we had like a, so a seven barrel kind of brew house. It's just the ugliest thing ever. And then going into seven barrel fermenters. Um, and you guys, obviously you've graduated on from that. Like what are you guys rocking nowadays as far as brew house? Uh, we've got a 15 barrel system now with 30 barrel tanks. Nice. What, what kind of capacity are you guys doing nowadays? I don't know. Braden, what, what, what are we looking at here? Under 5,000 barrels yeah. annually. Nice. I mean, if we get to five thousand, we'd be lucky at this point. Well, you're you're then you're we're in the same wheelhouse. I mean, we're doing yeah. about we're hoping to hit about forty five hundred this yeah, year. Okay. So, yeah, yeah. Right around that. It's still a crap load of beer. I mean, people, you know, yeah, you may absolutely. think four, you may know you say under five thousand. I mean, anywhere between four to five thousand barrels is still <laughs> it's a lot of beer. Yeah, mm-hmm. and we still have a we have a really small crew, so it is it is a lot of beer for us. But it's a great and crew. Also. Uh, I'm sorry? It's a great crew. <laughs> yeah. Some of them, we all have our pluses and minuses. <laughs> they all add up to, uh, they all equal out. So you guys obviously started with IPAs, and that's yeah. still the style that Hufarted is, is best known for. Why? Yeah. I mean, was that ski trip the one that indicated to you that, that this was the style of beer that you guys wanted to brew? Yeah, that was definitely what I was, I was obsessed with IPAs. Just again, a, just a, like a light switch, just trying something, coming from Columbus where there was nothing, trying something super dank and pungent and just fresh. I was right. like, so I was just obsessed with more and more and more hops, you know. And we were making hazy beers, whatever, in 2011, 2012. I remember our first couple untapped reviews, not, reviews, not an IPA. This is, looks like a Hefeweizen, blah, blah, blah. And we weren't even... I'd never even tried a heady topper before. Right. So we were just kind of like getting there just by trying to push the envelope with, you know, mouthfeel and aroma. And it just kind of. That's awesome. I didn't, I didn't know you guys were, you guys were already ahead of the curve, man. On those. In in Ohio, I wouldn't say we're, you know, we were definitely, (laughs) definitely were looked down upon for quite a, quite a while. Now everyone does it here, but people, a, we didn't know what we were doing, but then people definitely didn't think we knew what we were doing. <laughs> Happy accidents. Oh, oh, I mean, that's that, that's actually some of the best things. I mean, you know, accidents yeah. can all, always sometimes lead to the best things that we do. Um, sure. Is there, Trevor, is there, is there a beer that you guys have done that you're probably the most proud of? Oh, man. Um, I mean, we, well, right now, I mean, we're really obsessed with making, you know, killer lagers, but, you know, we're still cranking out mostly IPA. So I'm, you know, like everything, you, you try and 
create the biggest, most absurd monster beers, and then you end up gravitating towards very, you know, delicate light things lagers yes. at some point. So right now I'm really pumped on the lagers we're making, but nobody wants to hear about that. So <laughs> uh, I would just say, like, the first IPA we ever made, Musk of the Minotaur, is still probably my favorite one that we make. We still make it, I don't know, I would guess quarterly, and it still represents – the goal, it's still evolving, but it still calls harkens back to the first time we made it. So. Of course. What you started with, I mean, is always reminiscent and what you're kind of most attached to, I would say. Yeah. I know you guys also run a, a great festival. Can you guys tell, mm-hmm. me, tell me about that as well? Because I think it's uh, coming up or it did. I mean, it's coming up in a couple weeks yeah. uh, on October 2nd. It's called We're Sending Beer. Dragon Saddle Day. Yes. So it's... Um, Every year we release this uh, triple IPA called Dragon Saddle and just kind of started, uh, we've got some live music. We've had some pretty killer, pretty big names for the music that we like. We've had Dinosaur Jr., Guided by Voices, and some pretty sick uh, heavy metal acts. The last time we were allowed to have, the last time we actually had a festival. And then this year we've got um, the Super Suckers, which are a cool uh, kind of country punk band. Lou Barlow, who's in, also plays in Dinosaur Jr., and a uh, yacht rock band called Boaterhead. And then we got some pretty sick guest drafts. And yeah, so it's kind of a fun time all outdoors. So hopefully everyone's safe from all the, the COVID. And uh, yeah, so I think this is the fourth or fifth year we've done it. Um, yeah, fifth year. Yeah. So where, I mean, where do you guys sit now? And you're you're right under five thousand barrels. Where where do you see you guys? I mean, obviously we've we've made it through the pandemic, and right. that's kind of in the past. We're moving on. We're heading forward. Where do you guys see yourself going? I think we're just right now. I mean, we're continuing. The one upside of the pandemic is we kind of reinvested in our outdoor space, which we have a lot of in Marengo. So we've got a really cool little nature path that goes into the woods behind the brewery, which is exactly a quarter mile long. We've done like some beer mile, like running races. Uh, we're expanding our production building by, by two times. And we're adding more, a little, some more fermenters and we're upgrading to a new brew house. Uh, so we're not expanding crazy, but we're making it, you know, just a little easier on everyone else. A little, just nicer equipment, just reinvesting in, yeah. Reinvesting in yourself. Sense. Yeah, I understand that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, are you, I mean, is there an end goal you guys are trying to meet? I mean, do you guys want to get to 10,000 barrels? I mean, or is that, you know, are you just trying to pick up the pace just a little bit to, uh, to increase that production? And I guess another question would be, are you guys really distilling or is most of this all getting eaten up in Ohio? Um, well, I'll do the first, or okay. the second question first. Okay. Since, um, we do, we sell a lot of, most of it through the tap room. We do send a little bit throughout Ohio. We just started sending beer to Cleveland and Cincinnati within the last, I don't know, year and a half, maybe. We also contract brew some stuff out of 12% that we send to, I, I don't know how many states. 40, 40 plus states at this point. Oh, wow. So, okay. You know, I guess that, that doesn't even count in the 5,000 barrels. No. But, um, so, well, first part of the question. <laughs> <laughs> the first part was, I mean, are you with the new brew house and the new tanks? What kind of uh, what kind of capacity are you trying to reach at the facility yourself that you're at? Not including obviously the twelve percent stuff. I don't know that we have. Brain might have more of a number in mind. I think uh, just some of the new equipment. There is a, some more capacity, but I think it's just more of a quality of life thing. Just right. More automation, um, you know, 30-barrel brew house, 30-barrel fermenters, so we're not trying to go back-to-back. Back. You're not killing um, yourself, right? You're not trying to turn yeah, tanks in sure. such a time, yeah. I mean, I I can kind of finally agree with that. I mean, because this, you know, going through the pandemic, we actually finally filled out the rest of the space here with with tanks, and now we got our own canning line. We're not using a outside source to can our stuff we actually got a depalletizer so it's making life a lot easier on the guys here 
yeah. because we have oh, all that sure. stuff in house. So I can completely understand where you guys are coming from. Yep. And, yeah, yeah, every time you re- reinvest in stuff like that, you're like, I can't believe we waited this long. Right. Oh, yeah. for sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know. I look at my, you know, I look back and I just go, man, we did this this way for so long when we probably should have, you know, invested back then, but we waited till now. And, you know, right. I, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty at this point. It is. I didn't, and the, you know, the cost of entry on a lot of the equipment too. It's oh just, yeah. It'd be so prohibitive off the rip that I think that's how a lot of us end up here or in those situations. Right. I mean, because, you know, like when I bought the depalletizer, it was like, man, do I really want to drop $30,000 on a depalletizer? <laughs> like, I mean, can't we just hand feed the cans into the twist rents, you know, for forever? But, you know, I mean, you take those points and it, it obviously pays off in the end. I mean, your employees are in a better headspace and, you know, I think it leads to better overall production and, and quality of product. Um, For sure. I also want to mention that you guys, you know, are also known besides your labels. I mean, I do want to give a shout out to your label artist. You're also known for your beer names. How does the process of naming a beer work at you <laughs> at Hofarted? I mean, I don't, people must have a super low opinion of our beer names because we get the, the the worst suggestions coming in. But <laughs> it's usually just some, usually just some kind of. Uh, Random. I, I, we were just trying to come up with a couple new beers the other day, and a funny one I had I don't know, last year. I, you know, I put stuff in my in my notes on my iPhone, and we had this pale ale, and I had this written in my notes: Brandon's Minnesota girlfriend. And I couldn't for the life of me figure out oh what God. the heck it was about. And I'm like googling. I said, like, "What could?" I, I was drinking a little wine that night. I come to find out I was watching a Beverly Hills 90210 marathon. And it was an episode where Brandon, Jason Priestley's character, was visited by his old girlfriend from Minnesota. So, (laughs) Yes, because they moved to Beverly Hills from Minnesota. Wow, that's awesome. That is excellent. Just like weird little random pop culture references. I mean, sometimes we get painted that we make crude. I mean, I, I don't think many of our... Na- beer names are that crude. I mean, the brewery name is, you know, I guess could be considered off color. No, by some. no, yeah, it's just a stupid joke. I know. I mean, it, it's it's a play on words. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. right. I mean, obviously, so people just, can get sensitive, but you know, super just fun, goofy, random, whatever. I mean, sometimes uh, Braden's brother Blake, who's been down to Wakefest a handful of times, will say something just ridiculous, like another. Beer we have in the queue is. Do I have to do anything around here? Just, just, <laughs> just weird, just things. I just I have to keep a pencil or my phone on me at all right. times. You yeah. never know what's going to happen. Of course, it's five o'clock somehow would be another good one from yeah. Old oh, Lazy. That's, that's awesome. I mean, I mean, would you guys say your brewery? I mean, with the names and everything, you guys associate your brewery very much with pop culture. Yeah, for sure. I mean, where do you think I mean, you got? Made, uh, at least five or six beers with uh, some sort of Better Off Dead <laughs> reference or label art on it. So Van Halen, Better Off Dead, I don't, that's how a lot of it started. Certain heavy metal band riffs, you know. Right, I mean, because we're, we're obviously the, I mean, synonymously, I mean, synonymously known now as like the Star Wars brewery. I mean, uh, sure. I mean we, we're, 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 <laughs> we're more than that. I mean, yeah. uh, Comic books, Star Wars, pop culture. Um, obviously, you know, we did our uh, Silence of the Lambs rendition when yes, we yes. did it with you guys. I mean, it's, it's a little bit of everything. But I think having that kind of niche or input in the beer community is like an important thing because it, it really speaks to as who you are. I mean, we like to have fun. We're, we're you know, we have a good sense of humor. It's also is, really nostalgic for people. Right. I, you know, they, they see the labels and they're like, oh, you know, this is Jaws or this is, I don't know, something weird and obscure that we put on a label. It's <laughs> just a way to, way to be a, a authentic, your authentic self and relatable to, right. so, to certain people. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. I mean, there's got to be someone else out there like this, right? Oh, there always is. There always is. I mean, I mean, they might just be hi- hiding it, but it's still there. I mean, you me. found you know I mean? Brayden, right? right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, I mean, mean, look at him. I was the only one that would take. The teddy bear. The teddy bear. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Um, who rescued who? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, have you guys? I mean, 
besides the IPAs, and obviously we can center on the loggers. Do you think the? I mean, everybody's talked about it. I hate to beat like the drum, but I mean, is loggers you think a next wave? I mean, because I think you know we have where we've come to the point where people are putting you know they put smoothies into you know fruit smoothies into cans and you know super sweet dessert stouts do you think you know i had somebody the other day tell me oh we're finally heading back to the point it was actually winslow from uh pure project we're actually brewing beers that taste like beer do you think we're heading back to that direction or do you think this you know that's just all a dream at this point i mean i think it's um I think it's all. I, I mean, last time I was able to travel, I went to Evil Twin, New York, and he had everything that I that I like going on. He had you know dessert stouts, right. s- smoothie sours, and then some really killer like food or lagers. It's like this is what this is what I want. It's, the, I, lagers are a good way for geeky people to appreciate something maybe after they had a, a massive stout, and it's. Or somebody that just wants to crush a couple beers after a softball game. And I, I think it's all. I think it all plays together. I mean, I think you can show creativity in all those realms, and there's different people that appreciate all of them. I think, but for for us, I mean, I, I continue to push for the loggers. Uh, the guy, our sales people don't necessarily <laughs> agree, no. but no, <laughs> no. But I, I do think there's a new new appreciation for it and just kind of kind of doing what we've been doing with like IPAs and everything else, like taking something that has some sort of traditional form and maybe making, you know, obviously you're not going to want to make major tweaks to some of these lager styles, but you know, incorporating some of our tricks that we've of course. You know, developed on some of the other styles. Yeah, I mean, I never thought, you know, at the end of 2019, we started brewing. I think we brewed two lagers in the last quarter of 2019. Last year in 2020, I think we did six or seven lagers. And then this year, we had already put it on the schedule. We're going to do 17 lagers. So it's definitely happening. You know, I, I never would have thought when we started seven years ago, like uh, lagers were never even on my mind. But I definitely can see that we are heading to a point where they're becoming more appreciated and more craft beer drinkers want lagers and Right. And and that's I think that's where we're heading. the The spirit of your brand is fun and accessible. How does that help in bringing non craft beer drinkers into the fold for you guys? Frosé. <clears throat> yeah, <laughs> I know you guys do the frosé. I've tried to do it here, but we we, we do love rosé. I, w- I would say I drank way more rosé this year than uh, than beer, huh? but. <laughs> I'll, let, I'll let Braden take the uh, this this question because he's in in tune with it a little more than I am. Can, can, can I get it one more time, John, if you don't mind? So, like the spirit of your brand, I mean, it, it, you guys are you're funny, you're accessible. I mean, how does that help you guys bring in non craft beer drinkers into your brewery? Would you say? Yeah, it, it's a good question. I mean. It's certainly, like you said, it's accessible and it's approachable. I think just on, like, face value, if somebody sees any bit of Tom's art, it's just a, a piece of natural intrigue to begin with, whether it's like, <laughs> wow, this looks incredible and can recognize him for the talent, or a lot of people like, what the fuck am I looking at? This looks absolutely insane. Um, you know, you get your hooks in them that way. We have two different spaces, physical spaces, between our, you know, spot in Columbus and then obviously the uh, the OG dojo in Marengo right. that aesthetically are completely different. You know, one's very nature-focused. The other one is urban and clean and minimal in a sense. So, and then beyond that, like, kind of to, um, to piggyback off what Trevor was saying in terms of, like, brewing styles, whether it is, you know, dad who's coming in with his uh, his split, his, uh his sneakers staying green from just mowing the fucking lawn, you know, who wants a logger or, you know, your more adventurous type who's just going out on the town. We, you know, we, we should have something to showcase for anybody that walks through the door. So hopefully it's kind of all those factors, a confluence of those factors. I would say so. I think it's probably a little accumulation of, of everything that helps bring them in. So I, I have one last question to yeah. kind of in the, the, the old speculation right here. So uh, who actually farted? I mean, I recently switched over to a vegan diet. I've been eating a lot of beans. Probably 
In recent history, I would probably say me for sure. Oh, that's yeah, amazing. I'm not gonna that's amazing. <laughs> I'm well, sh- I, I mean, I hope all of you do because if you don't have, so I've got a sense of humor. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. It's the easiest joke, uh, you know, ever. <laughs> uh, of course it is. Everybody still laughs. So, well, thank you guys very much for your thank time. Thank you. I appreciate you guys coming Thanks on. Thanks for reaching out. And it was, uh, yeah, it was good to see you guys. You guys. Absolutely. So uh, we'll thank have you to very make much. it to Ohio. We got uh, well. I mean, uh, maybe not Columbus, but we'll go to Marengo because Columbus is <laughs> is no good. Come to Ohio or give us an excuse to come to Miami. Exactly. Oh, anytime. Absolutely. Let's Thanks, guys. Man. You're listening to the Beer Hour with Jonathan Wakefield. Conversations on the business of brewing and popular culture. Our next guest is an entertainment Swiss Army knife. He's a comedian, actor, editor, producer, and writer for television and movies. For over a decade, he has been mixing a delicious cocktail of travel, drinking, and comedy. His work has appeared on Comedy Central, VH1, and Nickelodeon. He was also a cast member of MTV's Damage Control and host of VH1's reality show, Motormouth. He has created, written, and hosted several travel drinking television shows. He has also published a book called Six Continents, 15 Countries, 190 Drinks, and One Mean Hangover. Welcome to the Beer Hour, Zane Lamprey. How are you doing this morning? I am. I'm. I'm good. I'm good. I just did show number twenty-seven last night at uh, the Dayton Beer Co. here in Dayton, Ohio, and then I got a show for the next three or four nights. <laughs> nice. Before we get into beer talk and tour talk, take us back to the beginning. When when did you first realize you had a knack for making people laugh? <laughs> That's a that's a that is a question that I have not been asked before. Um, <laughs> but I remember my earliest memory of something was that I was playing in the street. I, maybe I was like eight years old or seven years old, and I, I was, it was. It's just a, it's a the suburb of Syracuse. There was no cars. It was very very quiet. But I still wasn't allowed to be in the street. But I had a, a friend across the street, and so I was walking across or playing in the street. And my my, my friend's mom saw me and called. I, and, and said she was going to call my mom. And, and so I went home and I changed my shirt from a green shirt into a blue shirt. And then when my mom said, uh, Mrs. Robinson said she saw you playing in the, in the street. I was like, are you sure it was me? Ask her what color the, the shirt the kid was wearing. Oh boy. And my mom just started laughing because what an idiot, you know? <laughs> so that's, that's, that's the first one I can remember when I was, when I got out of being punished because I made my mom laugh. That's, that's amazing. That's amazing. So how long have you actually been at this now? How long have you been a comedian? Well, I mean, I, I kind of started doing the hosting stuff first. Um, always too like afraid to just jump on the stage, and and then you know about a decade ago it was like, look, I got too many good stories to like hold them in. I got enough material. If I'm gonna if I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna do it. So I started about ten, eleven years ago, um, and then it's just a matter of of you know, figuring out my voice and, and my, uh, my, my timing and, and, and what works and what doesn't work. And, and so, you know, I, I was, I was, like I said, like, it was a great show last night. They were very lively. Uh, I got a standing ovation, even though I went a little long with them. Uh, you know, the show's supposed to be in an hour, but maybe it went an hour 15 because they, they wanted more and I had some more stuff to tell. And, uh, I mean, that's yeah, always, I mean, I mean, I think, you know, you're doing a great job when they keep asking you for more and more, like, you know, that's right. Keep that's bringing right. it on. That's right. And then, you know, and, and, and I, I did a show in, uh, in Orlando, uh, at Ivanhoe brewing and they, um, uh, they were supposed to have a tent and, and the show was in, uh, late June and, and being, you guys are in Florida, you know, that late June, oh, pretty much guaranteed yeah. rain. And so we show up and they didn't have a tent. They were supposed to have a tent, but the show was in three hours. There's nothing we could do. We called a few tent companies. They, they laughed at us like, even if we had one, we couldn't set it up in three hours, you know, and get it over to you. So we just figured, you know, the, the, the brewery is like, no, we'll be fine. We checked the weather. So we started the show. The weather was great. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's about an hour, hour and, a, hour and a half with the openers and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, and right in the middle of the show, there's a thunderclap and it oh, just boy. starts raining. And I was under an awning and the whole audience was out exposed to the elements. But I had made them put up as many of these ten by ten tents as they had, so they could crowd under eight of them. Well, no, they everyone ran to the tents and then ran to the awning. Some people stayed in their seats, 
And so I went and did the entire show from the middle of the audience while everyone else was staying out of the rain. That's awesome. While some people were seated. I said, I'm not going to, I said, you guys aren't going to get wet and listen to me do stand up. I'm going to stand in the rain with you. I'll be the last person to leave. And so people weren't leave, leaving. And at the end, not one person left. It was a, uh, a cluster, cluster flux of a show, but, but not one person left. And it was, and it was funny. We went with it. It, it became just part of it. And now it's one of those shows that people talk about. So that's, that's, yeah. uh, I mean, that's amazing to me that, mm-hmm. I mean, that you were able to do that. And actually uh, that's more engaging to actually get in among the audience and like, you know, you're paying the price by being in the elements, but then they see that you're standing with them in this. So it's, uh, it's quite you an know, experience. And, 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 and that's, it's one of the things I talk about. Yeah, you know, it's one of the last stories I talk about in my standup is that people who have seen the shows, so whether it's three sheets or Drinking Made Easy or four sheets or Chug or Half Work Will Travel, any of the shows that I've done, and they they just they meet me and they go, oh, you're just like the guy on, on the show. I'm like, yeah, I'm not. I, 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 I try my best not to carry any pretension or entitlement. I try to be present and, and be 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 there and and in the moment and i'm i'm you know i love laughing i love meeting people and and when people say i'm just like i'm just what they would hope that i would be then that's the best compliment i could get i'm i'm you know i've i've worked to get to where i am and i've worked a lot you know and so i'm not taking for granted any situation that i get i get to the privilege to be in so um you know when 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 people are standing out in the rain I'm going to go in the rain with them. That's the kind of guy I am, you know. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm not the, you know. Hey, someone bring me an umbrella. I don't want to get my hair messed up. I'm like, no, let's <laughs> let's get dirty and get into it. Who who were some of your comedic influences when you were growing up that kind of helped set the stage for like your particular style you know, of comedy? I don't know if I, I, I look. It's impossible to to not be influenced by other comedians. Just like it's not, it's impossible to not be influenced by you know, the accent and dialect of, of where you're from. But uh, I, I, I don't know that there's anyone's style that I, that I emulate. However, I was always a big fan. I'm a big fan of storytellers, you know, and I don't know who those people are back in the day. Eddie Murphy, for sure. Oh, yes. Um, you know, let's, let's say the late, the late Bill Cosby, because, you know, right. He, he's dead to us, but his comedy, <laughs> his comedy lived on. Um, you know, Robin Williams, um, uh, you know, George Carlin, people that would, would like tell you these stories. And even though, look, you, you, you didn't know, like we didn't really know back then the, the work that went into a one hour special. And it was really the, the, the charm and, and, and skill and the ability of these, of these comedians to go out there and make it seem make it seem fresh and fun for the first time right. and tell you these stories and get into these stories. So for me, definitely a, a storyteller. I, um, you know, I, I, I sat down with Chris Titus once um, and he, he was talking about how he was, had trouble just kickstarting his, his career. He was funny. He was good. People liked him, but he wasn't, it wasn't like breaking out of it. And then someone just told him, it's like, cause you're telling jokes, tell stories, like let, let people in a little bit, you know? So, so really showing your vulnerability, like the, the comedy of my show comes from the mistakes that I made, the stupid stuff that I've done, not the stupid stuff that other people have done necessarily, you know, right. it's more about me and showing that vulnerability. And then I think that's the relatability with the audience because they're like, Oh, he's vulnerable. He does the things that I do, you know, that, that I would do in, in those situations. It makes me more, makes you more human. So that, it seems that's, funnier yeah, at that point. Right. Yeah. Wh- yeah when, right. when was the first time that your work reached a national audience? I mean, uh, so, was it as a yeah. writer or a performer? No, it was, it was, it was doing three sheets and, um, I did three sheets for a channel called in HD and it was one of the first four, uh, HD channels. If anyone got an HD, HD TV, then they got, uh, this channel in HD and then they got my show, they got three sheets. And that's why that, that was where I was able to reach a lot of people very quickly off the, off the, off the bat, but I didn't even have an HD TV. So I didn't even get the chance to watch my, my show for like for several years. Um, but the first time I was at a taco stand and I was standing there and the guy said, Hey Zane. And I was like, Oh yeah. Do I know you? He's like, no, I watch your show. I'm like, you do. I mean, this is like two weeks, three weeks after it came out. And he was like, um, 
he was like, yeah, we let, I watch your show with my friends. We get together and watch it, and our girlfriends, we love it. I'm like, wow, thank you. Jeez, this is amazing. That's This is incredible. And I'm walking out with my tacos and just kind of thinking about this. And I'm, I'm up in my head just going like, is this it? Like, this, is this is this what's going to happen? You know, whatever. And I, and I get in my car, my SUV, and I turn my wheel to back out of the spot, and I forget that I'm parked right next to a brick wall that's about two and a half feet tall. And you couldn't, when you sit in the car, you can't see it. And so I was just thinking about things like I'm going to pull out of the parking lot and I crank my wheel and I back out and I just hit this wall and my whole bumper falls off. (laughs) And here's these people that were like saying how much they like my show. Now seeing me try to get my bumper back into my, in my trunk, it was like, it was, it was a very, very humanizing moment of like, Hey bro, this is me to myself. Hey bro, don't get ahead of yourself. Okay. You're, you're still an idiot, you know? So it was good. It was kind of good. It was good for for just like a nice little reality check. Like, no, you're going to have to still work at it, my man. This is, this is not it, you know, because, because you know, that, that channel as many people who did have it, more people didn't have it, didn't see it. Right. So went on to do that. And then, and then three sheets and I did a, a, a show for, for travel channel and food network and you know, that kind of thing. So, that's amazing. So yeah, five of the television shows that you wrote for or created, Three Sheets, Drinking Made Easy, Chug and Four Sheets, seem like an evolution of a simple yet brilliant concept, like make the world a smaller place by drinking with the locals. Was that the, yeah. core, was that the core idea behind these shows? You know, it's interesting, and I talk about this in my stand-up. Um, effectively, yes, but when I went off to, to shoot the first the first uh, set of these episodes. So we flew into Galway, Ireland. Then we went to Belgium. I'm sorry. Then we went to Wales and Belgium and Champagne. And so we shot four episodes of the first season of the, of, of a total that would be only eight episodes in the first season. We shot, we shot four before we came back and edited it and really even knew what we were trying to do. So, so a lot of that stuff that happened in those first four episodes, um, or just trying to figure out who we were and what we were, what we were doing. And I, and, and for me, like I had never heard of NHD. I didn't know anybody who had that channel. I was just excited to be out there, but it wasn't like a huge show with a huge uh, crew. So it wasn't like I was ever like, even on the very first shoot, it's not like I was nervous. There was just four of us, five of us. And we went off and we just had fun. And then, I interacted with the camera guys. It's like, I'm not going to pretend like I'm alone, you know, but at the end of the day, it's just going on this NHD. I mean, I don't know anyone who's going to see it. Let's just have fun. (laughs) And that, that sort of irreverence became part of what we were trying to do. And what we learned from doing that, even in the, in the very first episode in Ireland is that sitting down and having a drink with someone is, is an amazing way just to get the person to focus on the conversation and and loosen up a little bit it's not it it really has very little to do with the alcohol it's just it's just the situation that you're in they just have one drink and then and then the the alcohol and from one drink just loosens them up a little bit and then you you know you're 15 minutes into a conversation that in other situations would have taken you hours to get to just like a a level of familiarity and stuff like that and so that was what we kind of realized is Sitting down, having a drink at a local pub, wherever it is, is the great equalizer. And it's a great opportunity just to learn about the country through that one person. And, and that was really the that was really the, been the through line of every, anything that I've done is it's not really about the drink. It's really more about the person and the place. You know, right. you're learning about the, those things. The drink. I mean, how much can you talk about a drink before it becomes, un, you know, disinterested? So, I mean, so of all the places that you've shot at what would you say was your favorite? You know, it'd be like, it's so difficult because I I get the favorite question a lot and it's difficult. It'd be like asking me which sibling I like better, my brother or my sister. Give me top, give me top three then. Well, my sister, because my brother's a dick. (laughs) Um, But I I, I wish I could, I wish I could, but I'll, I'll tell you this. You, you try to pick, I'll throw out a few and you tell me okay. how you could pick going one of these places and, and, and rating it better than the other. Uh, London, Rome, Paris, uh, uh, Marseille, Moscow, uh, Tanzania, Namibia, Fiji, uh, Kuala Lumpur, Kyoto, wow. Hawaii. You know what I mean? Like how, how do you pick three out of there and say that they're any better than the other three? 
I mean, the, I, the beauty of the sh- <clears throat> yeah, go ahead. I mean, I've been to a few. I haven't been to probably half the places you've been. But like for me, when I go to Europe, I enjoy London. But in a, in a weird way, I enjoy my time in Sweden with the Swedes probably probably yeah. the best. You know, because they're okay. they're great people, nice people. And it's just fun hanging out with them, even though the weather sucks. You know, you go there in November and you never see the sun once. But the people Why are still would you great. Go there in November, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I go. I got invited to a beer fest. I have a lot of friends in Gothenburg. We went there for a beer fest and never saw the sun for ten days. So I mean, the yeah. you know the whole depression thing. But besides that, the people are amazing, and the whole society yeah. and the beer. It, the great you know it's a great beer community. But then I'm sure if I asked Maria, Maria would be like Paris. Well, um, France in general, yeah, Marseille, yeah. Marseille is yeah. quite, um, quite charming. But the south of France is one of my favorites too. But it's an experience uh, you know, yeah. Yeah. in every place. Yeah, and I'm- um, some, someone was asking me this the other day, and I was like, I don't know, man. I've, I've spent a lot of time in the south of France, which sounds like a very douchey thing to say, but <laughs> I spent a lot of time in, in, in Provence, and and my wife and I have gone there and spent time in Bordeaux and Marseille and just and whatever and like. You can go and just like if you just Google like cute towns in in in, in Provence or in in France, and you get like a thousand. Like every town is not just like a little cluster like you'd find here. They're like on the side of a cliff or overlooking the ocean or in on a mountain or whatever. And so I if I would be so excited to move to and live in the south of France. And it's not crazy expensive. Like I could afford it, but I would be disconnecting myself from, you know, all my friends, which by the way, maybe that's, that's not a horrible thing, but I, I would definitely, I would definitely not like be adverse to, to living there. So maybe you found the answer. France. <laughs> I tell him Maria, all the time Maria he needs wins to again. go. <laughs> yeah. He's too busy hanging out in cloudy places in the worst time you can go. Oh there. my exactly. God. It's so depressing. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you what I'll tell you what to though to that is that I have found that the more regimented a society is during the day when they're working like you know in those Nordic countries yes. you know yep. and Sweden and and Denmark and and Germany uh, and and Holland and uh, and Japan that the more regimented they are and, and they're every day and the more attention they have to details and and, and pride of what they're doing the more fun they are when they drink yep because that is that's their time to, to loosen up yes Whereas absolutely. if you have people in like in like wales and and you know and some like the uk right you know sometimes when when those guys drink you want to just like make yourself give yourself some distance you know you, you don't you don't want to go the distance with with them because no. it, it can get a little salty oh but yeah like if you, you've been you've been to oktoberfest right uh no i have not Good heavens! Know. You chose to go to Sweden. I know, I know, I know. That's that's on the list. That's on the list. We got to work into Germany. You know what I mean? But they're very uh, staunch but, but, with their beer uh, beer laws. So, well, yeah. Well, here's the thing: you'll go to Oktoberfest, which has millions of people, and you will absolutely never see a fight. You won't see it. They are just having too much fun, right? And they'll 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 stop anything and its tracks before it even has a, an idea of happening. And so that's it, you know. I'm gonna have to check it out now. So you are currently yeah. on a massive stand-up tour. Tell us about your laughs and drafts brewery tour. How, how did this all come about? How did this come together? Well, it's funny. I I've had so many TV shows that have, from a fan perspective, done great, but but networks have done so much shifting in the last decade or so, meaning like things aren't working. They'll bring in a new CEO or a new GM or, or, or the whole channel gets absorbed by another channel or this or that, that it's like, I've been tired of being at the whim of a network executive or people that just see you as a commodity and don't see you as, 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 as a person basically. And so I was like, I'm done with it. I'm, I'm tired of being at the whim of, of these network executives. I'm going to go out and, and do stand up. And whatever that turns into, that tur- that turns into. But now only God, you know, can control my fate. And then, and then God was like, ah, "Here's 2020," you know. And she <laughs> thought that was funny. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and so, so you know, I just been been ramping up for this tour. I was ready to go on it last year, but an extra year gave me some more time with with more material. Uh, and now I'm out there. Like, like I mean, I was telling my wife last night. I'm like, 
I'm like, I did show 47 last night, 47 since June. It's Ooh. it's insane. And I have I have about uh, 49 left to go before Christmas. But I'm having a great time. I'm out there. I'm selling out these shows. And 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 the people people love it. They want more. I get ovations and encores. They want more stories. And, and, and look, this is like this is who I am, whether I'm on TV and doing it or I'm on stage. I'm just a guy who's looking for stories and and loves to tell them, you know, and 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 being able to tell them in a concise way and getting practicing to tell them just makes those stories those stories better. So I'm here for a while. Um, I'm I'm hopeful that it turns into a, a stand up special at some point. And then we've talked about like I did a show called Four Sheets for a channel called Drink TV, which most people haven't heard of. But if if you go to drinktv.com, it, it, it used to be a network. It's not anymore, so you can go and watch the stuff for free. But um, the uh, the rights to the show Four Sheets reverted back to me, and we were all set up to go out and start pitching it around to all the networks uh, on March fifteenth of twenty twenty, which you kind of remember what happened around yeah, that time. Of course. So 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 now travel shows are not being discussed because no one wants to put any any resources into something that might not be able to happen for months or years. Uh, and so great. I'm awesome. I'm on tour. I'm having a, I'm having a great time and, and something, something is definitely going to come of, of, of what I'm doing right now. I mean, that's, that's probably what it's all about anyway, as long as you're enjoying what you're doing. I mean, at yeah. your craft, I mean, that's probably the most rewarding thing that you can do. I know you, yeah. I mean, the shows that you've done have encompassed pretty much anything alcoholic beverage wise, but I mean, this is the beer hour. So what beer style do you kind of gravitate towards if you're going to drink a beer? You know, I, 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 I hate to give the, the politicians the answer, but I can do a good job with it. And it's that <laughs> I, I, I think that the beauty of, of beer right now um, and ever so more every month that we move into this, this beer revolution that we're having is that, is that you don't have to pick a style. There's so many, many styles yep. and variations and there's so, and, and you can go in to, I, I mean, my whole deal is I just, I drink local. That's what I drink wherever I am. That's what I have. I start with a beer. I might, I might jump in to see what their cocktail thing is, but, but more so, more so beers because there's a brewery in, in every town with a population of 500 people or more at this point. And to see what they're doing with their variation, especially when they can, like my, like one of my best friends is, is Garrett Marrero at Maui Brewing Company. And the way that he utilizes local ingredients into his beers is amazing. So you, you're, when you're there, you feel like you are drinking in a little bit of what that place, uh, you know, feels and, and smells and tastes like. And, and when you go home, if you ever have it outside of that, you can transport yourself back. So, um, I mean, I, I look, okay. So I was at Dayton beer company last night and they're amazing, uh, in that they have their beers and they have a fantastic brewery but about half of their menu are other Ohio beers. And you stand there and look at this list. And I'm telling you, there was probably 60 beers on this thing. Wow. And he's like, you want a beer? He's like, you want a beer? And, <laughs> and, uh, and then I just stood there and stared. He's like, yep, that's what everyone does. You kids, you, you're like, how many can I try? This is, you know, this is, this is amazing. And so you're going off on all these different styles and then slight variations of them. Uh, and, and for me, I think that's the beauty of, of, of craft beers that you, you can, you don't have to have to have a particular style. Even if you do have a style, you can still experiment with that. Of course, I mean there is a plethora of options when it comes to craft beer, and keep yeah. you know people keep introducing new styles or trying new things in beer. So it it is constantly growing. The list keeps growing for for yeah. options for people to drink. And so you've probably been to more craft breweries with this tour than than majority of anybody out there. What have you learned about craft beer drinkers? doing this tour i mean can you give us some insight like some comedy you would say like- you know it's 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 so funny someone someone said something uh snooty about craft beer oh boy and 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 like like why would you have a pilsner if you could have da 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 and it's like wow weren't we supposed to be the antithesis of the wine industry yes who's just who, who would rather sit there and talk about it rather than drink it like and oh, and he was saying, oh, he was saying, he's saying, do you like the beer here? Because you should try the beer here because it's so much better. And this this one, da, da, da. I'm like, I, I I don't really get that whole thing. The people saying that different breweries have have better beer right. because they, they, I mean, 
every every brewery that I've gone to on this tour, I've done 47, all have been around for a while. They're all established. They've all won awards, every single one of them, you know, and 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 the, and the local community loves them. So I don't I don't subscribe to this. Oh, you got to go here. This this beer is so much better than that brewery. Da da da. Like fine, there might be one style that maybe it, you prefer at the other place, but the reason these guys make it tastes like the way that it does isn't because they're not good enough to make it taste different. It's because they have chosen this, this flavor profile and this is what they think works. So, so I was just kind of like, I went off on somebody in, in a funny way yesterday when he was just telling me about all the better breweries in Ohio and all this kind of stuff. I'm like, I, I don't subscribe to that, man. It's, <laughs> it's just like you go into a winery and you te- you're going to tell me that Paso Robles is, is, is better than, than Napa, is better than Sonoma, something like that. I'm like, come on, man, stop that. Stop that. We're not, we're not, we're not, we're, we're not trying to be that, that snooty. We can be passionate and, and enthusiastic, but let's not criticize what other people drink. You know what I mean? Like don't come up to me and ask me what I'm drinking and tell me I should drink something else. That's where we start to get into a a weird, a weird sort of uh, region. But, but most people are just chill about it. And that's the whole thing. And I will tell you, and I thought about this yesterday and I think about this every single day because we've done all these, these shows at breweries is that I, this is the genius of what I've done is I've chosen to align myself with an industry. Now I've automatically been aligned with them, but going into breweries, you have the nicest, uh, hardworking, uh, congenial people of, of any industry and, and, and going in and just, and and walking into a new brewery and they are so excited to have us there. They put on a great show, even though most of them have never put on a show like this before, but they're excited to do it. And they're all, they're all good people because the craft beer community is made up. There is like, there is very nearly a no asshole policy in there. (laughs) I listen, I don't, I I don't know how Greg Cook, I don't know how Greg Cook and Stone snuck in there, but it doesn't matter. That's (laughs) the point. Hey, we won't, we won't go there. I know him personally, but we won't go there. So so, so do I. I know, I know. I know. Trust me. I've known him a long time and and I I agree with that. I mean, majority, I would say, you know, 99% rule. Yes. The, uh, no, no, no assholes. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. But, um, thank you very much for coming on the show, uh, for all our listeners. Um, Please visit ZaneLamprey.com for tour dates and tickets. And thank you again very much for your time. This has been great, man. I'm excited. I'm in Miami all the time, but I'm going to pop in there next time I'm coming to Hey, come on by. We can uh, show you the plethora of beers that you can choose from and then, uh, you know, go from there. (laughs) I love it. Cool. Thanks, Zane. Thanks, Zane. And that's it for this week. I'd like to thank my guests, Trevor Williams, Brayden Volk, and Zane Lamprey, my co-host, Maria Cabre, and my producer, Rocco Riggio. Thanks for listening. You can catch us each Friday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on Business Radio 132. Replays are on Saturdays at 8 p.m. and Sundays at 1 p.m. and anytime on the SiriusXM app. Remember, people, the thirst is real. Professor Barbara Kahn and Americus Reed talk about marketing and advertising trends, consumer behavior, building a brand, and more on Marketing Matters. SiriusXM Business Radio.